I invite the rest of you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 13. It has been a little bit of time since we have been here together. We're back in the story of Abraham. And we left off with Abraham in Egypt telling a bit of a lie about his wife and then the Lord dealing with him and bringing him back to the promised land. So now we pick up that story with the story of of Abram and of Lot and how they are in the land. As I mentioned earlier, it's a great encouragement to be back among you and to be in the pulpit. I'm not sure that you can fully realize how exciting it is to be back with you and to be preaching God's Word. But the excitement is not what we focus on. The person is not what we focus on. What we focus on is the very Word of the living God. For it is indeed completely without error. It is eternal. It is sufficient. And it is authoritative. Turn with me now, if you would, to Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northwards and southwards and eastwards and westwards. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would instruct us from your word, that you would show us your faithfulness, that you would encourage us to more and more faith in you, and that you would remind us of the great power, assistance, and grace that is found in Christ Jesus. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest things about the Christian life is making decisions, isn't it? We wonder what we are going to do. Should I stay at my current job or go to a new job? Should we live in this house? Should we buy a new house? Should I go to this college or do I need to go to the other college? Even the youngest amongst us. Do I clean up my room as my parents have asked? Or do I try and wait them out and hope they forget? And you see, oftentimes when we have these kinds of decisions, we are focused on the wrong thing. We are focused on the decision itself. And we think, if I pick this college and not that college, everything will go wrong. Have you had those thoughts? If I don't go to the right school, I won't, re- won't meet the right spouse, and then I won't get married, and I won't live in the right place, and then I won't be at the right church, and I won't have the right children, and then I won't be able to retire at the right time, and I'll be poor and destitute and live homeless. That's what kind of goes through our minds sometimes, isn't it? When in reality, the Scripture shows us that as we face decisions, we need to be focused on the method of choosing on the God of choices and how He directs us to look at all of the world and all of our choices. And then we leave the results and the circumstances to the Lord and His providence. You see, it is not the choice that undoes us. It is a failure to follow the Lord and a lack of faith in God and His providence to equip us. That's the story here that we have in Genesis 13, in a nutshell. The Bible talks about living the Christian life and making choices in terms of a walk. And we're going to see this kind of walk this morning. The very first thing we will see is circumstances that test our walk. We'll see it specifically in the case of Lot and Abram, but it's applicable to us as well. Then we will see the folly of walking by sight, which we are all too prone to do. And then finally, we will see the great blessing that comes in walking by faith. The story of Lot, the story of Abram, but this is more than that. It is the story of you. And will you walk by faith or are you walking by sight? 
Let's begin then by looking at the, stir, the circumstances that affected both Lot and Abram. Now, as we look at these, remember that both of them are equally affected. They are living together. They are traveling together. They are part of one community. And the circumstances that are involved first are past circumstances. They have past failures to account for. Specifically here, Abram. He had received this high calling from the Lord to leave the land of his fathers, to leave his father's house, and to settle in a land that God would give to him. There's only one problem. Abram had great faith to leave Ur. But like all of us, he did not have perfect faith. We see that first, that he did not leave all of his father's house. There's a constant reminder to Abram and to us in this text. Everywhere Abram goes, do you see it in the text? And Lot was there too. And Abram went. And Lot was there too. And Abram settled. And Lot was there too. Lot had gone down with him into Egypt and had come back with him and was traveling with him. In a sense, we might even say, contrary to God's intention to separate Abram out from all of his past. But more than that, there was a failure that Abram had of faith in Egypt as he did not trust God with perhaps the most prized possession that he had. His wife. He felt he needed to take things into his own hands. Lying about the situation. And God preserved Abram and Sarai anyway. And rebuked him in the mouth of a pagan king. And then there were present struggles to be had. There is the getting back on track. I'm sure you've never experienced this, but so go along with me for a minute. When you have a failure, whether it's a failure of work or a failure of judgment, and you have to get back onto the track where you need to be. It's hard. It's hard to get back on track. You keep wanting to look backwards. Look at the failures. Wondering if you can ever do it again. And God here is telling Abram and telling you and me that we need to get back onto track. Then there is the present struggle that is occasioned by, wait for it, too much money and stuff. Do you see it? It says that there was fighting that came up. A conflict between Lot's men and Abram's men because they had too much stuff. Now, I know if you are like me, as you dwell throughout the week, you think almost every problem you have would be solved by more and better stuff. It's hot. If only I had a new air conditioning unit. If only I had a better car. If only my car got better gas mileage. If only I went to a better school. If only I had a bigger house. If only I had a smaller house. If only I had this. If only I had that. But here you see, Abram and Lot had been through just about everything that we consider hard. They'd been poor. They'd been through a famine. They'd been wandering around without a home. They were in a hostile foreign territory together, and we never hear of any quarreling. The quarreling starts here when they have too much stuff. Do you think God is trying to tell us specifically as Americans? Every single one of you, every single American, those Americans who are on welfare, 
are better off than 98% of the world. You can go home right now, no matter how big or how small or whether you own it or whether you don't, and turn on a device in your kitchen and fresh drinkable water comes out. That is a miracle in most of the world. You flip a switch and you have light. You live in Houston and you can be cool. You see, as Americans, we tend to think that we lack because we don't have more than we have. That is Satan's way. God wants us to be blessed with what we have. I'm not telling you you need to live a life of poverty. I'm telling you from the Scriptures you need to live a life of contentment. There's a problem here. Wealth and conflict. And then there is this line that occurs here in verse 7. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. It's almost a parenthesis. It's almost a throwaway. We wonder, okay, Moses, thank you for telling us a geography lesson. No. There's a reason why this verse is here. It's because this almost an aside reminds us that Abram and Lot are dwelling in the midst of hostile territory. And prosperous believers are a greater threat to a hostile world. When the church is flourishing, when it is doing what it needs to be doing, evangelism, outreach, mercy ministry, declaring the Word of God, declaring the authority of God, that is when the world is threatened. Not when the church is weak and hiding. You see here, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are in the land and there is a danger that faces Abram and Lot. And Abram is reminded that they must be unified in the sight of this danger. And Abram makes this very practical. He practices what he would... Because you see, there is this challenge, what do we do? And Abram knows there's a danger. He knows the worst thing that could happen is if they started fighting over grass and water in the midst of all the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And he looks at Lot and he says, you choose. Now, you have to understand the context of this. Abram had all the rights. He was the elder in the family. It was his job to choose. Abram was the one given the promise of the land by God. Abram should have said, I will go here, Lot, take the leftovers. But you see, Abram's response is one of deferral. Now this is not like we practice sometimes when we eat pie. You know how you cut pie and you can't cut it perfectly, or at least, unless you've got a really good pie cutter who can really measure it out, maybe a math major pastry chef. All perfect pieces. They're a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. And you're sitting down at dessert and someone says, go ahead, take a piece of pie. And you say, oh no, after you. And right back here in your mind is, I'm waiting, come on, say, no, 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 after you. Oh, thank you, and I'll take my piece. Right? This is sort of the, there is a level of pleasantries, depending on how familiar you are with a person, where you do this, no, after you, no, no, after you, till finally you say, oh, okay, I'll take it. That's not what Abram is doing here. He's not being polite. He's not expecting Lot to say, oh, no, no, Father Abraham, you choose. 
He really is saying, you choose, because he's being very intense and focused about it. He asks Lot a question that is not even really a question. It's like a statement. You know, like when your mom walks up to you and says, did you really think you were going to get away with that? Now, there's no real answer you can give to that. Right? (laughs) You just kind of sheepishly look down. That's what Lot is facing. He says, is not the whole land before you? And then he follows it up with a word of command. Separate. Lot. Pick. Separate. Choose. Go. Abram's being very forceful here. And he's being forceful because he's focused on peace. He's focused on the benefit of others. He has learned in the school of faith that you trust God and He will work things out for you. This is something that we need to learn here today in modern America. We are constantly focused on our rights, on our privileges. Far better it would be to stand with the Word of God and declare to a nation that we will not waver, that we will not swerve, no matter what circumstances bring. God will sort it out. Don't worry if they pass a law. Don't worry if there's a regulation. Don't worry what will come 20 years from now. Focus on obeying God and His Word. These are the circumstances that are placed before Lot and Abram. And as you can see, it applies to us. Most of us have too much stuff. Most of us are surrounded by danger, difficulty, and enemies. Most of us are tempted to stand on our rights. And what happens here to Lot? Lot begins his story that we will see play out over the next six or so chapters by walking by sight. Now, remember first here that Lot was completely dependent on Abram. Abram was his only family in the area. He had left behind everything else. Lot was completely dependent on Abram for his wealth. Where do you think Lot got the herds from? He got them from Abram. He got them from Pharaoh who gave them to him because of Abram. That's where they gained their wealth. Lot was the tag-along. He was the sidekick without a mask and a cape. He just simply walked behind Abraham and and sort of picked up what, what happened. He was also completely dependent on Abram spiritually. Nowhere here do we see Lot striking out for the Lord. We do not see Lot faced with this decision saying, I need to go to the Lord in prayer. We don't hear the Lord speaking to Lot. The relationship is between the Lord and Abram. And Lot was completely dependent upon him. And so then, how does he choose? Well, the first and most obvious thing we see is that he does not defer back to Abram. He does not follow the law of pie ethics. He does not say, oh, no, 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 after you. No, he scoops it right up. He says, all right, you want me to pick? I'll take a look. What do I want here? Hmm, how about, no, Mm, what do I think? And he's colored by the circumstances of his life. He's walking by sight. And what that means, we need to understand 
Walking by faith is not walking around with your eyes closed. I wouldn't even do that up here. I'd likely fall off. Walking by faith is walking according to the principles of God's Word, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Lot is taking a page out of Abram's book in chapter 12. He's thinking about the circumstances, thinking about what he can see and count on and is within his control. And the first thing he says to himself is, you know, Egypt was a pretty nice place. A lot of water, a lot of good farmland, was great for the flocks. Not really sure why we left to go to this dry land, but you know, I would like to have the kind of life that I lived in Egypt where we were wealthy and we relaxed and we had entertainment. Remind you of any place? And so he says, where can I find a place that's like Egypt? Let me look around. And so what he does is he looked. He lifted up his eyes and he looked to see. Now you have to get the picture here. They are standing in an area outside Bethel. They are about 2,000 feet above sea level. They can see virtually all of the promised land. Now, they don't have binoculars, but they probably had better eyesight. So they look and look and look, and he looks down and he sees this beautiful, lush, green, watered valley. And it's a contrast. Do you remember what most of this area was like during the drought? Everything was brown. Do you remember the grass out front? It was a little stubble of brown, right? You remember, kids? The young people would go out on Wednesday and they would play volleyball or some sort of game or whatever, and there'd be huge dirt patches because the grass couldn't handle it. I drove in now this morning, and the grass, the first thing I said to my daughter was, that grass needs to be mowed. It's way up there because of the rain. It's lush. It's green. It has a whole different kind of healthy look to it. That's the contrast. Lot looks and he sees this beautiful valley and it's so beautiful it reminds him of Egypt. It even reminds him of, do you see it? The Garden of Eden. What better place? This has got to be the place that I go to. And so he chooses. He chooses using his own wisdom, using his own eyes, using his own circumstances. He does not ask the Lord in prayer. He chooses according to time now, not eternity. He chooses according to worldly profit, not the nature of his soul. You see, he's using all of the wrong criteria to make the choice. That's what causes the problem. It's not A versus B. It's how you get to A or how you get to B. And see, Lot then chooses this valley It's what seemed best to him. He wants comfort. He wants ease. And this is the mark of a babe in Christ, of someone who is weak in faith. You see, when we read about the carnal Christian in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, you need to not think about someone who is immature, It's not immaturity, it's a sign of weak faith. There's a difference. This is not a flippant choice that Lot makes. He probably has the equivalent 
the ancient equivalent of an Excel spreadsheet. So many acres, look, okay, water. He does all the study and he says this is the best one to go to. The problem is, is that he doesn't do it with the eyes of faith. There is a danger here that Lot has and that you have and that I have. And that is we trust to our wits, to our wealth, and to the world in making our choices. And even when we make good choices, surprisingly they don't turn out well. Because you see, the Lord is about bringing us into a closer relationship with Him rather than stuff. You've heard me say it before, I will say it again. This world is not your home. It is a Motel 6. It's a place to rest your head. It's not even a five-star suite. It is a place to rest your head. Our home is the new heavens and the new earth. And we need to be focused in that direction. And you see, what Lot failed to see was the promise the very first thing he should have said was not after you, Abram, but Abram, you've got the promise of God. How can I leave you? I want the promise of God. Can't we figure something out? I'll give up all my livestock. I'll send them off. I want to be with you and God and the promise. Almost a Ruth kind of a moment. But he doesn't. He fails to see that the separation would be final. Now you have to understand the principle here. He sees the valley of Jordan. He's 2,000 feet Above sea level, the Jordan Valley is a thousand feet below sea level, near the Dead Sea. He's going to have to go down a steep cliff. This is not something I'll see you next week, Abram. This is goodbye. I may as well be going back to Ur. He fails to see this. And what he fails to understand is not that wealth is bad or good, but it's who possesses whom. Abram possessed great wealth. Great wealth possessed Lot. But there's a fundamental difference. And we see it then, he fails to see the downward spiral and pull that will happen. Do you, do you notice the progression? He sees the Jordan Valley. And then he looks toward Sodom. And then he pitches his tent near or toward Sodom. And then later on, we will find him living where? In Sodom. And then we will find out from Peter that he is not only living in Sodom, he is sitting at the gate of Sodom. He's become a city councilman of Sodom. You need to understand, especially young people, that the choices you make can lead you in a direction, in a trajectory. And you may say to yourself, well, you know, it won't be so big of a deal if I don't bother to get up every Sunday morning to go to church when I'm at college. I can pick that back up later. Oh, it doesn't really matter if I start out my household in a godly way. Oh, it doesn't really matter if my marriage starts out on a certain foot. I can pick that back up later. See, Lot shows us that there is a trajectory that you set with your life and you need to be on the trajectory toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Lot is a living, fleshly example of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Lot is snatched 
from destruction, we will see later. But too many in the church who are there just because their parents make them come, or their wife makes them come, or their kids make them come. Too many are willing to snatch at the golden ring at the risk of their own soul. Lot chooses by sight. He walks by sight. So what does Abram do? Abram walks then by faith. He has learned in the school of faith. He has left everything behind. He had learned that he trusted himself in Egypt to horrible results. He had seen the Lord preserve him. And now he wants to set this new beginning aright. And so we have this great contrast in chapter 13. The whole chapter is set up to be a contrast between Lot and Abram. Now, do you see here what happens in verse 10? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Now look down at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, what? Lift up your eyes and look. Same two verbs. There's a great contrast here. So they're both looking, but they're looking with different eyes. Lot's calculus is worldly and by sight, and Abram's calculus is based upon the Lord and faith. And so what he does was he looks out, and he does, in the words of the promise, and in the power of faith, he looks out at all this land, and he says to himself, this is mine. Why? Because God promised to give it to me. Now, notice where he looks. He looks north, he looks south, he looks west, and where else does he look? East. Where did Lot go? East. Abram knows that even the land that Lot took is still his by promise. He doesn't feel threatened by Lot. He doesn't feel threatened by the world because he's trusting in the promise of God. Never let the world steal the promise of God from you. The world may tell you you are a failure because you have not risen up the corporate ranks and you are not making the money that you should be making because you have too much time for the Bible and for church. The world will tell you you are not being all you can be. Your wardrobe, your closet is not filled with dresses, filled with things. You do not belong to all the best country clubs because you have too much time spent raising your children, running your household, loving your husband, caring to the needs of others. Do not listen to the world. It lies. Trust the promises of God. And you see, Abram knows this. He counts on God to protect him in the midst of this. And he has the opportunity to grow in his faith. This difficulty is God's opportunity. Do you know that you are expected to grow in faith? You should not be in your walk with Jesus Christ next year where you are today. Whether you are six or ninety-six. God is using His Word, His providence, and His people to fashion you into the image of Jesus Christ more and more every day. Abram looks out, he sees, he knows the land is his, he knows the power of God, and he is encouraged by the promises of God. 
Look here at verse 15. God says, all the land that you see, what? I might give to you if you're good. If it doesn't work out with Lot, it's all yours. I will give. Look at verse 16. I will make your offspring. Look at verse 17. I will give it to you. It is the promise of God. All of the promises of God to Abram and to you are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe there is a mansion? Do you believe there is a room prepared for you? Do you believe there is a new heavens and a new earth? Do you believe Jesus Christ is coming again? Do you believe that you will have a glorified resurrection body that will never be corrupted and never be ashamed? You need to trust the Lord and believe these things. No matter what you see, that is true. And act upon it. You see, it's just like Paul writes to us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. He tells us in verse 3 that the Lord Jesus Christ, or excuse me, that God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is yours, Christian. Act on it. We have these promises of a new heaven and a new earth. And Abram is blessed by the Word of God. He gives to him again these promises and gives to him a good land and reminds Abram and us that that is where our focus and hope and trust should be. Do you remember this verse from the Gospel of Matthews? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, we need not focus on all of the worries that surround and beset us. Because the Lord is faithful. We're called to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Because you see, Jesus is an even better example of trusting in the Lord and His providence. In the temptation of the devil himself in Matthew 4, Matthew describes how Satan tried to get Jesus to worry and to take action based on that worry. Are you hungry? Turn the stones into bread. Are you worried? Jump down and they'll save you. And Jesus countered at every point with the Word of God saying, you must obey the promises and the Word of God. Are you ready to do that this morning? To trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your job, with your college, with your social construct, with your house, with your life, with eternity. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ because He is able. He has proven it to the whole world by rising from the dead, conquering the power of death itself. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is able.
We follow Him by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that You would give us the eyes of faith. That You would remind us, O Lord, that You are able. That You are for us. That You will guide us and take care of us. Lord, we ask this morning that You would expand our faith. That You would even, Lord, we be so bold to ask that You would grant us opportunities and circumstances to exercise our faith and to trust You more and more. That is a frightening thought, O Lord. But we ask that You would take fear from us and that You would remind us that You are ever with us. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.